Yo, and welcome into week three of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring, back with you for another week. CD, it is always a pleasure. I feel like I haven't talked to you in years, sir. Yeah, no, it's been like a long time. We didn't time. do three hours of radio <laughs> together earlier on Sirius XM. Well, that's kind of the reason. Oh, big turp oh, popping the first one of the uh, congratulations to the you, week sir. Three. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm jealous is- of big turp because like pre-gaming the SEC, we're supposed to be pre-gaming. But you know what? When you have 97 children like I do, you've got like practices surrounding our podcast here, pregaming the SEC. Yeah, their parents frown upon the coach showing up with their kids in the huddle <laughs> smelling like alcohol. So I, I that's don't true. But I don't know. I, I, I do live in Louisiana, though. That's I true. I feel like that gives me the best opportunity, maybe so. But yeah, we got to be responsible I out just here. And Big Turf's uh... just sitting there drinking like a, a nice cold beverage, making it look very delicious. Yeah. Uh, even even with the name Voodoo on his IPA, no one is going to pull at my Louisiana heartstrings. You ever get down on a Voodoo Ranger? Uh, yeah, I know what Voodoo Ranger is, but I, I don't need you to drink it in front of me, knowing I've got to go mold young minds here in a little bit. Apologies. Apologies. I'll be yeah. better. Uh, no, you won't. It's okay, though. All right. It is that time to get to our first segment, and it is always going to be Hold My Beer, speaking of Big Terp holding a beer. But I'm going first here because you've already gone first on the open hey, of the podcast. Make, by the way, I'm making a de- uh, declaration here. I've got two for you. I've got I've got uh, uh, two mini ones that I want to hit you with. Hmm. I feel like I've got a big one. If I start going with the big Hold My Beer, because mine's mine's a pitcher. Here's Actually, no, the hell with that. Mine's keg. a keg. Yeah, Mine is a keg, keg of beer. <laughs> hold this Texas A&M. Hold this keg because yet again, you have gone out there and been a disappointment. You just, you have. Every year, this expectation is built up for Texas A&M. And I understand why it is built up, CD. I truly do. Because on paper, everything looks like it is in the right direction, heading that way. Ross Bjork, athletic director, think he's the right guy. Jimbo Fisher, national championship winning head coach, think he's a guy. Five-star recruit, five-star recruit, five-star recruit. Assistant coaches with resumes that you know are the who's who. All of that, resources, check. Donors, check. Stadium, check. State of Texas, high school football recruiting, check. And just time and time again, it underperforms. And this is going way back. You and I did a show earlier today, and we've talked about this. 1998 was the last time that they won a conference championship, right? 1998. They have only won that one in 98 since 94, okay? That's a long time for a program that has as much as they have as far as resources and desire and want to. 1939. We're talking over 80 years since they've won a national championship, CD, and I cannot explain it. If you said, okay, your life is on the line, explain why Texas A&M can't be more consistent on the gridiron, I'm dead. I'm gone. I'm six feet under. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. There's no way I could because they have everything that you need to have a successful football program. You know I think the world of Jimbo Fisher. I am doing this podcast with someone listening and caring about it because of Jimbo Fisher. He mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity to play running back when a lot of people would not have gave me that opportunity in the SEC. But for whatever reason, CD, they cannot, and I'm talking about as a school, they cannot put it all together and have that special run, that year that we're all talking about. And I'm talking about a conference run, 
not even talking about a national championship run. If you have the answers, I'd love to hear them. If anybody uh, listening to this podcast has the answers, I would love to hear them. At Jacob Hester 18, at Chris Doring on Twitter, at pregaming the SEC, because you can't give me a reason why they don't, but they never do. That's a good point. And we'll talk more of the details of that debacle down in Coral Gables uh, past Saturday later in the show as we uh, we look back for the final time this week. But I do think, um, you know, the hold my beer, it's such a broad term. We use that and it, it's almost like and it's, I'm going to date myself. Hugh, you'll have no idea about this. I'm hoping that that has you'll have a little bit of recollection. Did you watch the Smurfs back in the day? Of course I watched the Smurfs. Yeah. You see the yeah. way I'm built? Of course yeah. I did. So the Smurf <laughs> was used in a number of different ways. It was an adjective. It was a verb. It was a noun. I mean, you can mm -hmm. use it interchangeably. I feel like that's what hold my beer is. Hold my beer yeah. could be, hey, you thought that was pretty effed up? Let me hold my beer. I'm going to show you something more effed up than that. Or, hey, yeah. Yeah, you did well at that. I'm going to outdo you here. Hold my beer. Let me go. Let me go give it a shot. So the 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 definition here for Texas A&M is what? Hey, you thought you were let down the last two years? Let me go let exactly. you down here again. Is that is that yeah. what to take hey, away? First off, here like the first year, hey, here's my beer. The second year, going back to our conversation, here's my pitcher of beer. The okay. third year, here's my keg of beer. That's why they are, you know, in this segment, hold my beer. Because it can mean, oh, you think that I was impressive, I can beat you. But that can mean a positive impression or a negative one. And it's negative here with a and yeah, no, I got you there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two real quick. Um, one, I'll start with the negative, and I used this one on the show. It's a minor one. I used it on the SEC Network on uh, on Saturday, but the the way that 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 for whatever reason, I don't know why, Vandy feels sorry for Wake Forest, maybe, but like Vanderbilt last year turned the ball over three times in a game that they probably could have won that got away from them early when they started. Uh, turning the football over one of the turnovers led you know was a uh, a defensive score um so you know hey, the one thing you need to do this year when you go out and play wake forest in in uh winston-salem don't turn the football over well they did that in the first half of the ball game three turnovers in the first half including a punt that was dropped and scooped and scored when all the momentum was on your team so now, here it is last year. You go out there, you turn it over, hold my beer. I'm going to outdo that and do it in the first 30 <laughs> minutes of the ball game. The second one is more of a positive one. I'm going to leave you on this one here. You know, a lot of people been talking about, you know, Oklahoma and Texas coming to this conference and not being ready for what they're going to face when they get into this league. Yeah. Not going to be built properly for the line of scrimmage league that is the SEC. Not going to be able to have the athletes that the SEC has. Well, Hold my beer because I'm going to go into the most difficult place to play in all the SEC against the best team in the last decade and a half, and I'm going to physically beat you on both lines of scrimmage. I'm going to out-athlete you, and oh, by the way, I'm going to out-coach the GOAT, which yeah, never thought was possible. But a positive if you're a Texas fan or a positive if you're an SEC fan next year in 2024 in the future. join us here instead of beating <laughs> us from an outside perspective. Yeah, Texas uh, will certainly be in pre-gaming the SEC Season 4, Oklahoma, <laughs> as well. We will talk a lot about the Longhorns, but that's going to be a question that is posed now. Where is Alabama as a program? And it's so unfair because of what they've done, who they've built themselves to be, but now it's going to – like, people have been waiting. They've been waiting on any sign of weakness to try to pounce on Alabama, and the writing was on the wall for them to have – to their standard a disappointing season to a lot of people's standard a great season so 
last year in a company, you know, a company that with this year, then yeah, it's very disappointing to the incredible standard that they've built there in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. And, and it is, you know, you're a victim of your own success. And I think sometimes when you have as much success, when you're overexposed in a way, the way that Alabama has been, people can't wait for you to fall. And there have been the cries of, you know, the dynasty being over multiple times. And I don't even really want to get into the dynasty part of it. You know, I think it was an amazing run. When I was at Florida, we had an amazing ramp up to where we dominated the SEC. Certainly didn't have mm -hmm. the expectation or the same success on the national stage that Alabama did. But, you know, things change. Everything is cyclical. It's always going to end at some point in time. And whether it's because of the rise of, of the program in Athens, that the blueprint was taken straight from Nick Saban and implemented better than any other cur uh, assistant of, of Nick Saban's has been able to do. And that taking some of the, the recruiting uh, targets that typically Alabama would have been able to stockpile away. Um, whether it's the NIL stuff, the transfer portal, the combination of everything, you're looking at a much more even playing field within this conference and within the national landscape. And parody is kind of the, 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 the buzzword yeah. of the first couple of weeks of the season. And um, I, I, I unfortunately think that there is this idea that we have to quantify something and say, all right, well, this was the dynasty. Now it's over. It was a great run. Can Alabama win national championships? Certainly they can. Will they win them in the frequency that they did over the last 16, 17 years? No chance. Neither will Georgia, yeah. neither will anybody else because of how even now the, 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 the landscape has become. Let me ask you this question before we move on to last call. And it's probably something we could revisit in last call. The last time that a Nick Saban led team lost at home by double digits was 2003 when he was the head coach at LSU over 7,000 days ago, almost two full decades. I think it was October 11, 2003 was the last time that it happened to Nick Saban. You know what they did in 2003 at LSU? What? Won a national championship. Mm. So the last time it happened to Nick Saban, it was actually against the Florida Gators. Yeah. I know it's right. a long time ago. You don't remember when Florida used to there. beat LSU. I was in the stadium, man. Rex Grossman lit up the Tigers that day, right? Wasn't it? Wasn't that the, the quarterback? Yeah. Or no? I, I, I believe so. I believe. And actually, it led to – Nick Saban being so angry about Steve Spurrier calling him and saying, congratulations on a national championship, but you still couldn't beat the Gators that that next year when we played Florida, it could have been the 85 bears and we were going to find a way to win. That's how mad Nick Saban was, but yes. So to get back to the point, it happened to him before and he found a way to rally the troops and win a national championship. But with that being said, do you think they actually have what it would take to rally the troops and get back into a position where they're playing for a national championship. Let me correct myself. I, I was actually about to say that, Hugh. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Y'all always be forgetting about Chris Lee. I know. You know Chris always, Lee. always, always. 2003 was the year that Chris Lee. Swamp King's little documentary, forgetting I, about Chris Leak. Yeah. No, that, that was not fair. Chris Leak went in there, I think, as a as a freshman, I want to say, and did that. He in, wouldn't in, have been very old. He, I mean, at, let's freshman. see. He might have been a, so freshman, might have right? a sophomore. Yeah. I mean, he was young. Yeah. How about the Gators winning by 12 uh, with Chris Leak coming in at negative 66 rushing yards on the day? <laughs> yeah, LSU couldn't get anything going offensively. Skyler Green with a punt return, if I'm not mistaken, was the only score that they had that day. So, all right, all right, all right. Reminiscing. We'll talk, Too much yeah, reminiscing. Let's, well, let's, let's, not remin let's not reminisce when the Florida Gators had an advantage over LSU, certainly here yeah. on the podcast. I'm joking as many times as I've reminisced about LSU 
having an advantage. And so let's go ahead and get into last no, I call. I want to answer that question. Oh, it, it, oh you, you do? Okay, right now? No, you. Yeah, you want to do it in our um, uh, next segment here? I think we can. But before we get there, I do want to tell the people about the fine folks over at Richard's Honda. Go to the website today. That's richardshonda.com. We've been telling you over the last couple of weeks, they've got something for everybody, no matter what the lifestyle is. No matter what you need, sedan, midsize, full-size SUV, if you need the old minivan, look, it's okay. I've got five kiddos. We can roll up the carpool in the minivan because you might be looking at it, side-eyeing that thing. It's okay. You know what I do? I push a button. The doors slide open. Kids jump in for carpool, and you can have that as well. Go check them out again online. That's richardshonda.com. And now we will get into last call. And I know we got into a little bit of it there in Hold My Beer. We were very passionate about Hold My Beer this week. But last call, week number two, the slate was interesting. We had games where it was like, okay, go out there. You had this moment where you can prove it. You can, you know, week one success. Maybe you can build off that and go into week two, like a Tennessee situation. I'll throw this one to you first, CD, since I took Hold My Beer first. Last call. Last thing you want to get off your chest before we move on to week number three. I just think of, about how interesting it's been the first two weeks of the season. And I, I use the word interesting in place of disappointing if you're an SEC fan. But for the SEC to struggle the way that, that we have in the first two weeks, one in four against ACC opponents, um, losing games because we've been out SEC'd by mm -hmm. other teams, by Texas, uh, by North Carolina, uh, by Florida State. I mean, the thing that we always go back to is it's a line of scrimmage league. And in yeah. every single loss that the SEC has suffered to an out-of-conference Power 5 opponent, it's been because we've been beaten on the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, dating back to the first Thursday of the season. Like, Florida was beaten soundly on the offensive uh, and defensive lines by Utah. Uh, that that South Carolina-North Carolina game, LSU-FSU. Uh, this past weekend, Alabama out outplayed out on the lines of scrimmage on both sides. Texas Wake Forest, Vanderbilt. Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, and, and Miami. Like, all of these schools have beaten us at our own game. And yeah. I think that's the part that's hard for me to, to, to kind of swallow right now. And, and I honestly, a lot of the haze in the barn, like who you are as a conference is decided in your first two weeks of the season when you're yeah. playing out of conference games. I don't know how much that, that the conference can do at this point in time to rectify the impression that's been left to – the nation and more importantly, the college football playoff committee. Oh, how can that not be both of our last calls? I mean, you, you've only won one game and five opportunities against the ACC and the four that you lost to your point CD, they big boyed you. Let's call it like it is like, we have to call what the tape says. The tape says that they controlled the narrative in the game and Tennessee beat UVA. UVA is not a great football team, but at least Tennessee did take care of business. And then you talk about Texas who, yeah, they're going to be in the SEC next year, like we said. They're not now. They're a Big 12 team. And they came into Tuscaloosa, and they had more fire. I mean, you go watch some of those clips, like right to the 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 echo of the whistle, right? They are going to the echo of that whistle. And even in some wins, Mississippi State, Arizona. Arizona came across the country and took you to overtime, Mississippi State. Despite Auburn they traveled. Four, uh, 
four turnover margin. I mean, you know, you, you, you're plus four in the turnover margin and you, you still have to go to overtime to win that game. That speaks to just the so, effort. So, yeah, exactly. So that does not look have. great for the conference. I mean, Auburn was able to find a way going all the way out West. And I do think Cal's better than we're giving them credit for, but like that one was never really secured until the final whistle. And so we're not used to being in this position again, let's call it like it is. We're used to it being the other way. Like we're disappointed that they didn't win all five games typically, not that they got dominated like they did. And that is something like, I, I got to do a case study. I got, I got to figure out why this is happening because that has been the difference. It has been in the trenches. Yeah. Skill players. Sure. But SEC's always had skill players. What was the difference? It was because they had me nasty tough up front, front seven on defense, offensive line. And you knew that after you played that SEC team, the next week, whoever you played, you were still going to feel that SEC team. That has not been the case so far, and that has been shocking to me is because even if a team found a way to beat you, I don't want to call it fluky. That feels disrespectful, but they had to go out there and almost be perfect. Yeah. They had to have like a generational-type quarterback performance to go out there and beat you. Well, we're not seeing that. We're seeing, hey, you know what? We're growing and you're not. We're running right here. You can't stop us, and that is alarming. And there's a couple of more opportunities. You have one this week that we'll get to. Later on, you got K-State, Mizzou. K-State dominated that game last year. Yeah, we can get to the old SEC-ACC challenge that we have at the end of the year. But like you said, the Hayes kind of in the barn by that point. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's some soul-searching that's going on this week in a lot of of, of locker rooms. You know, I, I've, I've heard a lot of talk from Alabama players about how they weren't ready to go. They didn't have a great practice. First and foremost, I have a hard time believing that that coach Saban is not going to have guys ready to go, at least, you know, with a great plan and with a, a, you know, a, a great speech of, of great, yeah. like mental. Approach. I can promise you he's got his teams yeah. ready to go. If you're not ready to go, that's on you. You got to yeah. look in the mirror because I have been coached by that man. Every stone is turned over and checked twice to make sure that you're ready to go every single week. Yeah. So the fact that they're saying that to me sounds like a little bit of a, a cop out, to be honest with you. And it takes me back to Nashville when we were there for SEC media days, like a rare, like bit of actually like bravado and trash talk in the media, like the offensive line bragging about how much better they're going to be and how much more physical they're yeah. going to be. And they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. Like to me, it's always, you know, when you're in a fight, the person that that actually is the hardest of all is the one that swings without saying a word. The yeah. person that wants to tell you about how great they are really doesn't want to fight. And I wonder no. now between those two things, between an offensive line group that wants to talk about how that good they are and not really back it up at all, and a group that says, "Hey, we just didn't, we weren't ready to go." Like yeah. those all sound like excuses to me, and I'm not used yeah. to hearing that kind of stuff coming out of Tuscaloosa. No, and that's all level of football. Every level of football. And I love the example that you use. I'll give you one from, from my personal family. I got a, uh, an 11-year-old son that just started playing tackle football. It's his first time, man. And he has really taken a liking to it. And he's going out there. He's playing left tackle. I got a family of left tackles. <laughs> Go figure with me being a running back. But he goes out there, man, and he pushes the guy back. 12 yards. He's got him on roller skates, right? And for whatever reason, the little guy starts talking trash to him. My son looks back at the huddle jogs back to the huddle doesn't say a word to him i said man that might be the most proud i've ever been yeah. of you he goes what do you mean i said you dominated that guy he was talking trash because you embarrassed him 
and you didn't jaw back. You let your play do the talking for you, and that's what good teams do. That's what great teams do. Is it okay to talk a little trash? Yeah, we've all been there before, but think about that. When when you're getting dominated, you try to talk trash to make yourself feel better about getting dominated, and then the guy just runs back to the huddle. Oh, man, that's a gut punch right there. So yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, no, and I think that's kind of what we've seen across the landscape. You know, what we heard from Texas A&M in, in, in the offseason was this sense of urgency that existed, that we were – you know, a greater attention to detail that we were finishing in practice. Yeah. Well, when I look at the tape and look at the secondary, I don't see guys finishing. I see guys getting beaten past coverage. I don't see any sort of real uh, push from the, the the front seven. I don't see them getting any pressure on Tyler Van Dyke. And I see guys after the catch that are not being taken to the ground. It's one thing to give up yeah. a completion on a deep throw. It's another to not be able to get the guy on the ground, turn a 25-yard catch into a 50-yard touchdown. That happened multiple times and, and that to me was the most surprising part i, I love dj durkin I, I've, I've been around him for a long time dating back to his days here i think he's a great guy great coach but i have no explanation for why texas a&m looks the way that they look on defense yeah, we talked about it earlier when you and I were talking about Texas A&M and, and Mike Elko. He had that team third overall in total defense in 2021, and then he goes to Duke and does what he's done in a short period of time. They win nine games last year. They've already knocked off Clemson this year, and you're wondering how much they truly are missing Mike Elko right now because, CD, it looks like a lot. It looks like yeah. they are, you know, yearning to have some of his principles back because last time you had him, you were top five in the country as far as total defense. And now, you know, you see the way that Duke plays and you're wondering, can they get that back there in College Station? All right, now we are excited for our very special guest here on Pre-Gaming the SEC. It's another Florida legend joining the podcast. That is Ben Shelton. You probably saw him out there on the court, not that Long ago, Ben, we are very appreciative of your time during your very busy schedule. I'm sure that for you, I mean, the world's kind of spinning in fast forward right now after everything you've been going through over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Um, pretty cool to be on this podcast. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy, uh, you know, being in New York and, and having the run I did, uh, kind of walking the streets after and then seeing the aftermath and now coming back to Gainesville and, you know, being with all my friends and, and the other athletes here on campus, it's been a cool experience. That's awesome, man. I, You know, the reason, obviously, I'm very proud of you as a Florida guy, but as a Gainesville guy, too, I think we all take great pride in the success you've had. And uh, just watching, you know, the interest of uh, people in this area and, and people across the country. I mean, you, you're you I saw something you were labeled as the the maybe the the US man that with the most potential uh, out there playing right now. I mean it, it's crazy to think about you know what has changed for you almost overnight as you talked about man. What's the biggest difference in your life since coming back from New York? I mean the biggest difference for me is it's like the the people who have an opinion about me are so extreme now, you know, it's either a complete hater who you know thinks I'm the worst person ever or they're diehard fans or a girl who loves me you know it's a, it's it's gotten a little bit out of control um on both ends of the spectrum but uh, i think that that's probably the biggest difference who can hate are we talking about like the the hoity-toity like traditional like tennis guys is that who, yeah. who hates on you like who could possibly not like the energy and the excitement and the attitude you bring to playing yeah tennis tennis twitter you know they like the, the <laughs> traditionalists uh, be a little bit more quiet and respectful on court and 
and I don't find myself to be a disrespectful person when I play, but definitely a passionate person. Yeah. And I guess that can rub some of those people the wrong way. No, for me, it's very authentic. Right. I was watching actually some highlights before we hopped on here and it's very authentic. Like it's who you are. And, right. you know, all of us are, are players here. Like we played our sports. CD and I played football in the NFL and you have to be that. You have to be yourself. You have to go out there with that mentality because that's who you are. That's your identity. So anybody that hates on that, it's just they don't know what you go through to get to your process, to get to the point where you're at your best level. I agree. So right. take take me back through, man. Let, let's let's talk about your development, man. Because I I know you come from a family of of tennis players. Your father was an accomplished tennis player and tennis coach. Your mother was a player. Your uncle, your sister. Like I know in the beginning you were kind of anti tennis a little bit, right? You wanted to make your mark in in other sports outlets. Is that right? Yeah, I was a big football guy. I hated tennis. Uh, I wanted that to be my dad's thing, my older yeah. sister's thing, whatever. My family can have that one. And I was going to have nothing to do with it. Like tennis isn't a fun sport when I was, that was my mindset when I was growing up. So I went and I played football from when I was like five or six to like 12 or 13. Um, that was kind of the first sport that I fell in love with. And then uh, 12, 13 is when I really started getting things going with tennis and, and starting to, you know, practice and train for real. And uh, that was when, you know, my progression or development kind of started. Yeah, one of the things that I think is pretty cool now, you're seeing college tennis players have a legitimate path to becoming like real pros and play at the highest level. That's not always been the case. It's kind of been the soccer model as well. Like you go to high school, maybe you go to an academy and you don't have the opportunity to play in college, but you're a perfect example. And there's others now you can go play at a high level in college and then still have a high level pro career as well and play for championships. Yeah, I, th I think it's crazy. I think the two keep going hand in hand. The better the level of college tennis, the more players that start to make it in the pros. And then when college players start to make it in the pros, the best juniors see it as a pathway. And then they start going to college and it's just this, this cycle. And, and, you know, if you weren't from the United States, the, uh, the thought maybe a couple of years ago was if you go to college, like you're giving up on pro. Like if, right. if you go to college, you're not focused. You don't care about that being your career. You're basically going to uh, get an education and go party. And uh, that was <laughs> what everyone who wasn't from the United States thought. And I think that yeah. that narrative has definitely changed in the last couple of years with, with the success of a lot of college players. So how old were you when your dad took the job here at Florida, man? What were you, about 10 or 11? 10, 10. 10? All right, so you move here, and I imagine at that point in time you're still big into football. How long does it take you to get indoctrinated into Florida football, and who was your favorite Florida Gator football player as a kid? Oh, man. I mean, right right away I was into it. I was a huge Gator fan. You know, coming from uh, Georgia Tech, it was, a, it was a rough, you know, few years with me as a football fan that I had there. <laughs> So I got here and, you know, I thought it, it was the greatest thing ever. Um, favorite guys, you know, I loved watching Trey Burton. Um, yeah, he yeah. was up there for me. I was right after Tebow. So I was kind yeah. of, a, I was a highlights guy. I would go on YouTube and I watch these, these Gator teams, Rainey, Demps, Percy yeah. Harmon, Tebow. I mean, that those were the guys that I really like enjoyed watching, but obviously, they, that had already happened. So that was yeah. a big YouTube highlights guy. 
Do you remember your first experience in the swamp? Because I look, I remember mine as a player being an opposing team going into that place. I was a true freshman, Ben, and I, I was fortunate enough to get a start that night. I went the wrong way on like three different audibles. I couldn't hear anything. I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Channing Crowder actually knocked two of my front teeth out because my mouthpiece <laughs> fell out. It was a horrible night for me in the swamp, but memorable. Do you have a memory? Yeah, I do. Um, definitely a day game was the first one I've been to, and I was dying. It was so hot. <laughs> it was so loud. I couldn't believe how many people were yeah. there in the middle of the day. And I remember, you know, uh, I was so young, and I'm there, just me and my dad, and there's a bunch of, you know, drunk guys around us going going nuts yeah. at the game and then swearing up a storm. And my dad's like, hey, come on. Like, I got a little kid here. <laughs> what? And, you know, you didn't, that's not something you saw as much in right. at the Georgia Tech games. So it's, that was kind of my first experience yes. about how rowdy, you know, Gator football is. It, it sounds like the U.S. Open crowds. I mean, I've never, I've been to Wimbledon a couple of times. I know it's, that's a lot different than the U.S. Yeah. Open, but what, what is it like playing there? One of those like matches at midnight where all the people are hammered and a little different than the, the hoity-toity tennis people. I mean, it's insane. It's, it's high level heckling and, you know, it's, it's one of my, or it's definitely my favorite atmosphere because like you said, most of tennis, you know, you go to Wimbledon or some of these other tournaments, it's all, you know, that's it. You know, yeah. they're, they're yeah. not screaming anything, saying anything, you know, during the point, people will be screaming at you in the, in, in the crowd. So I think it, it fits the city that it's in New York city. Yeah. very well. Do you get tempted to jump back and start talking trash with them? Cause I think, you know, at a younger age, when I was playing, I always tried to engage with the people in the stands, which is not the best approach in any sport, but I imagine in tennis, it's the, the worst thing you can probably do. Right. Yeah. I, I try to not engage with the crowd as much. I'll engage with like my box, you know, my, yeah. my people that are there, my coach, um, sometimes with the other player, uh, but I tried not to get into it with the crowd and, and somewhere like the U S open, it's so loud in there. You can't really hear anything that individuals are saying. Mm. That's actually a good thing. We talk about it all the time on this podcast. Like the thing you try to do as a football player, you try to put like blackout curtains to the crowd. Like you try to focus in and hone in, but we got 10 other buddies out there with us. I think right. that's the difference. Like for you, it's just you, like it is you out there, all eyes on you and your opponent that makes it more difficult for me. You don't have any buddies and teammates to kind of lean on and try to get you through the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think tennis is a little different having to be out there by yourself and yeah. try to figure things out. And and one thing that's been big for me figuring out is how to really motivate myself going into a match, how to go into a match with a chip on my shoulder. And once I find that little thing that I can use as a chip on my shoulder to really be aggressive and go after the other guy, that's something I don't know. It was the same for you guys when you play, but when I'm just a little bit or or a lot mad, yeah. <laughs> I, I play my best. Like it, you know, some people are like, "Oh, you, you can't play angry. You have to be, you know, calm and, and collected." But I mean, when I when I'm angry, that's when that's when my best yeah. tennis is played. Did you did you watch Last Dance? Is that where you got that from? From Jordan? Did you see any of the stuff he talked about, like making up things to be mad about? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely <laughs> seen that. You know, and there's a few things that happened this, in New York, whether it was real or not. I made it up in my head that it was real, and I'm thinking in my head like when Jordan was saying, 
and I took that personal. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Hey, I got to ask you about the celebration, man. I love it. I, I love all of that. I, I love you going out there. Again, going back to our first question, like showing the passion, that's you. It's authentic. It's what you are and who you are. And I was somebody, I, look, I love celebrating a good play in the end zone as well. One time, uh, so much so, I got fined $5,000. And my wife still, to this day, lets me know about that $5,000 fine from FedEx on that Monday morning. Tell us about your celebration. How did How did that become a thing? Yeah, the first time I saw it was, uh, you know, I probably hadn't been to college yet, but I watched Grant Holloway win yeah. NCAAs at Florida uh, for the track team. And, you know, he he's standing up there, he's doing this celebration, <laughs> like looking at everybody in the crowd. And I was like, man, like, that's pretty cool. And then it became their thing at Florida. Everyone was like this. Right. Like, I was seeing them yeah. do it all the time in practice. Like, it didn't matter. And uh, a lot of my best friends are, you know, track athletes here in Gainesville. Uh, either still on the team or pros who train right. they have a, like a pro training group here. And so I was kind of giving them a little shout out when I did this and people yeah. asked, kind of, what does it mean? And I was like, I guess it means I'm dialed in. Like, <laughs> you know, I didn't really think about before what it meant, but right. that's kind of what it became for me. That's oh, awesome. I love that. That's great. So let's go back to what you said about, um, you know, the, the, the typical path to the pro tour, maybe not going through college. Your father was the the head men's coach at Florida as you grew up here in Gainesville. Was there ever one, a thought of you not playing college tennis and two, was there ever a thought of you not going to Florida? Cause I imagine recruiting trips, like the other coaches talking to you with your dad, there as a yeah. father and not a coach. I mean, that would have been really awkward, right? Yeah, it was weird. Um, there was never a thought of me not going to college. I, I honestly, I wasn't a great junior player before I came to college. I mean, I was good, maybe the 10th top American recruit or mm -hmm. ninth. I mean, so I wasn't, you know, the top guy or the guy that everyone thought was going to be a good pro out of high school. So I knew I was going to college. Um, but up front, I told all the SEC teams, I was like, sorry, like, I can't talk to you guys. Like, I, I just, there's too much, you know, yeah. like talking to Georgia. I, I already hated Georgia for a, for a minute. So uh, I knew I wasn't going in the SEC. And the only way that I was going to go to a different school is if it was for the academics, not the tennis. Because I was like, this is the best program in the country, Florida. And my dad's a the coach there. So yeah. cheering on top. So I, I visited Stanford. That was my only other visit. And and uh, I did really like it, but it, it wasn't for me. I, it was a little bit too school intensive, and I didn't think I'd be able to accomplish what I wanted in tennis going there um, as much as going to Florida. Hey, I want to get to this weekend. Big game, Tennessee, a rival coming to town to the swamp. Uh, Florida backs against the wall after losing to Utah there in the opener. Walk us through your game day, though. What's the plan do you have it all planned out? Are you going to wing it? I know you're going to enjoy the game and be in that number, but do you have the day planned out for yourself right now? Com completely winging it. I don't have <laughs> I don't have anything uh, planned right now. I'm sure I, I'm going to be with some of my friends. Um, I, I I know I got a few uh, field passes, so I got to go. figure out who I'm going to take with me on the field. Uh, I'm excited for that, and then I'll probably go up to like the student athlete section and and get get rowdy up there it's a good spot so uh, i'm excited first the first night game that i've been to florida football in a while so yeah the, the fact that you know it matched up that i was in town randomly the weekend of uh, the tennessee game i'm, I'm bummed. what's tennessee ranked right now 11 11 and one at nine though nine in the coaches poll 11 in the ap so we'll take that nine we always want the higher ranking 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I want to ask you. Um, I want to come back to to something as it relates to the the other teams, but as it as it relates to the student athletes, man, uh, the Heavener Complex a year ago gets unveiled, man. Every I think it's so cool that all the athletes eat in there together, man. What what is it like? The unity of all the athletes across the 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 whole landscape of the UAA, the the relationships you have with other sports. You talked about the track guys and uh, the way they've looked at you since you've gotten back from New York. Yeah, I mean. It's it's crazy. I mean, I feel like I used to know everybody in there. Like a year ago, it was, it, I knew everybody, and there's so many new recruits and new faces now. It's like I walk in and maybe I know half the people. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty crazy. People coming up to me, they always have ESPN playing in the dining hall, so I know that people were telling me, <laughs> yeah, like we were just eating uh dinner on like a friday night or and we're watching you at the u.s open like it was crazy but i still go in there pretty much every day you know they let the pros uh still if if you're still in school you can come back to heavener and and eat there study there they let you use the facilities so that's been really nice for me just because training down there at florida uh long days and it's just it's it's very convenient but i mean one of a kind facility Hey, bro, hey, you C- CD, there's a statute of limitations on going back to they eating at the I, dining hall. You're not come, allowed to go there. They told me I could come work out. But CD, you still in school, man? <laughs> I'm thinking about getting a grad. Thanks, he is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, every time I try to bring up this game, CD, by the way, to Ben, like asking about the game, you try to go to something else. Are you are you scared about this game, CD? What are we no, doing? I, I'm not scared at all. I was going to ask you, Ben, you, you kind of lit up about the Tennessee thing. Like, who was your favorite team to hate to play against in the SEC. It was Tennessee. <laughs> oh well, our three were were Tennessee, Kentucky, and Georgia. Yeah. Um, Georgia was the worst to play at Georgia. Uh, Tennessee had the nastiest like coaching staff and team. Like they were just a tough team, yeah. and uh, and Kentucky was second. Um, but yeah, I I, I think Tennessee was. My favorite to play, but also the most difficult team to play. So who, who are you? Who are you closest with on the yeah. football team? At Florida, yeah. Um, you know it's interesting. I I was never that close or had that many friends on the football team. You know, I'd send messages to uh, some guys who made it to the NFL here and there. You know, Anthony Richardson. Every once in a while, yeah. I'd send him something or. Uh, who else? Zach Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good one. A few, a few, a few other guys that are on the team now that, like, you know, I'm I'm friendly with, but I, I've never really been like best friends with with, with anyone who's who's been on the team. Tyre Elam, actually. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah. He came, he came to my match at uh, the Miami Open this year. Nice. Uh, That's cool. He's on the Bills, and the mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the owner of the Bills' daughter is a professional tennis player. So he kind of came out. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Her, Jessica Pagula, and uh, and I was like, wait, Kair? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. like, yeah, he was like right next to the court. So I was like, oh, shoot, a Florida boy. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Hey, so Ben, what's next for you? Like, obviously, like you've got tournaments and different things coming on. You mentioned you happen to be home in Gainesville on a weekend. So, like, what's like maybe the next four months as far as events that you're going to be in and kind of the training, getting ready for all those events? 
Right. So uh, Grand Slams are done for the year. Right. Uh, I have this team event in Vancouver uh, starting next Friday. It's called the the Labor Cup. So it's basically like they pick six players from Europe to play six players from the rest of the world. So I'm on Team World and we play against Europe and it's a pretty big event. So yeah, I was lucky to get picked for that. And then I come back home, have another like hard training block for a week and then we have the Asia swing. So I'm going to China for two weeks, yeah. uh, Japan for a week, and then finishing my year with three weeks in Europe. Bro, so, do me a favor, uh, man. D don't don't burn out here, man. You're, you're doing a lot. Uh, you played singles. <laughs> you played doubles. Didn't you play mixed doubles too? I played mixed doubles, man. I played mixed doubles to the end. We made the semifinals. I mean, I was cooked by, by the end. <laughs> How'd but, you uh... do that? I mean, I was worried about Oh, the hope and a prayer? Well. What are we doing? I mean, let's be honest. Did I really think that I was going to make the semifinals in both of them? <laughs> Probably not. But, uh, yeah, I, I think in the future, or at least for a while, I'm yeah. going to retire from mixed doubles. But maybe, maybe okay. at some point Fair in the future, enough. Uh, at, at some point I'd like to play with Coco Golf. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, gosh, that was a lot of fun to watch as well. Like, I mean, just both both sides of it were fun to watch. Like, there was intrigue. Like, there was some newness, certainly, right? And you saw some some new faces. And that's what made this run so special on both sides, I think, is because it was like a blend of old and new. And Americans. Right. Yeah, and Americans, too. That's a great point. Yeah. They, so, real quick, in the household, man, mixed doubles, do you and your mom take it on your dad and your sister? You guys compete? We used one? to do that literally every weekend. Yeah. Every weekend we would go, me and my mom versus my dad and my sister, but we, we couldn't beat them. Because, I mean, I at that time, I was worse than my sister, and obviously my dad's yeah. dominant, so, yeah. uh, so we struggled. But I think, it, I think it might be more of, a, more of an even game now. I saw his deepest run at the U.S. Open was the second round. Have you talked trash about getting deeper than him? And the, uh... No. I, so a lot of people ask me this question, and my, uh, my politically correct answer is <laughs> – if he were to have or if he were to have had all the opportunities in the sport that I've had that I only have because of him, yeah. he yeah. probably would have gone further. So I can't say anything about who did better because I've only done so well because of him. Very right, hey, that, that, that is a great answer, though. I think your pops will appreciate that. Hey, before we let you go, Ben, and we truly do appreciate the time. A prediction? You got any any predictions for this weekend for the Florida Gators against the Tennessee Vols? Uh, I I'd love to see a, a high scoring game. Uh, I, I think our Gators are going to get it done. Um, I, I think we're going to win by three. I like it. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say twenty seven twenty four. I mean, they haven't beaten us here All since right. before you were born, just about. I mean, you, you were born in what, The year after he was born. Yeah. He was born yeah, in 02, the last time. Born. Yeah, 2003. I was still in high school the last time that Tennessee beat Florida. And CD, now, I mean, you were well into NFL. your NFL career NFL. already. Yeah. So, Well, if this is the one game that I come home for and, and we don't get it done, I, I'm just going to blame it on myself. So, <laughs> hey, so I hopefully got we get it done. So I can ben, you'll, you'll be doing this soon. I got a chance to be the honorary Mr. Two Bits uh, a few years back. We, it was a noon kickoff, homecoming. We lose to Vanderbilt, so I think I'm banned from doing that. Oh yeah, forever. you're done. But um, I, I, I did, did it last year. Actually, oh, you did it last year. Okay, All right. but it was uh, I forget who it was. I think it was a little bit of a bunny game, though. Mm. I think we won pretty easily. Yeah. So, I'm so saying. you're invited back. 
Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. But I would be tight if it was like <laughs> um, a big team, big matchup, and I had to do Mr. Two Bits. But. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm the only Mr. Two Bits that's ever lost to Vanderbilt at home. There's so. no question about it. You no. are the only one. You're banned for life, CD. <laughs> There's no Two Bits in your future. Yeah. That's for sure. Hey, Ben, man, we, we really appreciate your time, man. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, very enjoyable watching you and the run and still like the best is yet to come. And so we're looking forward to watching you down the road. And again, man, thanks for your time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. All right, that was fantastic stuff with Ben Shelton. Certainly, it was a lot of fun to watch his run there in New York at the U.S. Open and hoping and expecting big things from him in the future. We appreciate his time, and we appreciate him hopping on pre-gaming the SEC. All right, before we get to know yo foe, let me tell you about our friends over at Blue Delta and BlueDeltaJeans.com. Look, obviously, they can come in. They can measure you. You're going to have the perfect pair of jeans. I have a pair, CD has a pair, but it's not the only thing that they do over there at Blue Delta Jeans. They also have the Chino pants. Actually, they are, you know, right now they're fitting the Ryder Cup team. I mean, they are doing big things there over at Blue Delta and BlueDeltaJeans.com. And look, the tagline that we came up with a couple of weeks ago, it's always going to play true. Nothing feels as good as custom fits, and you're going to get the best custom fit from Blue Delta and BlueDeltaJeans.com. All right, let's get to our next segment. We invite our guy Big Turp in here for this segment each and every week, and it is No Yo Foe. So Big Turp, I'm going to throw the team out there. It's a team that maybe SEC fans don't get to see often enough, and they need to learn more information on this team. And so you always give us a little news, a little nuggets there, and let's go with Arkansas's opponent. It is BYU. Now, BYU, longtime independent, now in the Big 12 Conference. It's a team that Arkansas played a year ago. What do SEC fans need to know about BYU? All right, so BYU about to kick off a stretch of 10 consecutive games against Power 5 opponents. So Arkansas hoping to rudely greet them to start that. Uh, they're, they're only averaging 70, 79 yards per game on the ground, which is 118th out of 132. And keep in mind, they had an FCS opponent last week. So that that's not like they're playing Alabama yeah. and AM up front. Of, of course, Alabama and AM of two years ago, three years ago, not not the 2023 SEC. That wouldn't be that impressive. <laughs> um, defensively, <laughs> just one sack through two games. So if I mean, like you said, now you're going against the big boys and Arkansas and KJ Jefferson, where if you get to him, there's no guarantee you're bringing him down. So they have one sack through two games. Um 60 new players between freshmen and transfers this year. So against Sam Houston, 25 players made their debut. We talked about this last week with Miami, and obviously that didn't end up being a negative for Miami. They ended up looking just fine. Yeah. But this is even more new guys. 60 new players between freshmen and transfers, which is just incredible. Um, and then just a little bit historically for BYU, obviously, if you're a college football fan, you know, BYU, they've, they've been around for a while. They've had success for a while. This part's crazy though. The last 50 years, they have 431 wins, which is number eight total. The only teams in the last 50 years that have more wins than BYU, Ohio state, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, Nebraska, Michigan, Penn state. Wow. Okay. That's pretty good company to be with. Yeah. Uh, and just over the last 11 seasons since they went independent, 99 and 56. So they're number 18 then. So obviously not 
you're not in that same group of Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, but 18th in college football and wins over the past 18 years. We said the same thing last year when Arkansas was getting ready for him. Be, you can't just be like, ah, it's BYU. It's, like, it's just, it's, it's the Mormons. We're fine. It's like, no, this is a tough team every year and you need to be ready to go. Let That's a little you. surprising, the rushing stats, CD. I don't, I don't know. I, well, I know you're a receiver. You're out there. You ain't worried about stock blocking, but that's a little surprising. They have been a team that has always kind of leaned on the rush, and so the fact that they're having that much trouble, even with all the new, BYU's supposed to be able to run the football. Yeah, but, but you know what, though? They were known originally for that's you know, fair, airing fair. it out. So I want to I want to ask Big Turp this question. Name some of those highly respected highly accomplished BYU quarterbacks that may have helped yeah. him develop that. Uh, I think there's three that we're looking for, right? Would you agree just right now? Three? At least three, yes. Okay, yeah. I mean, right, I Steve Young. Yeah. Okay. Don't but cheat now. No Stop cheating. looking. Dude. Stop looking. I can see your eyes wandering. My, my eyes are right here. I'm going yeah. Steve right. Young, and then I'm obviously going Jarrett Stidham before he transferred to Auburn. No, I got nothing. Steve Young. Jarrett Stidham played at Baylor, bro. He played at Baylor, not BYU. Oh man, this is. Are you are you sure he didn't? All right, you know what? I'm not going to embarrass myself by no. doubling down on that. Yeah, um, don't do that. I mean, you're not gonna, you're not you're not including Zach Wilson, right? No, I, I'm right, not. Then, no. Then, then I'm out. I got Steve Young and Zach Wilson. Hester, would you like a chance to steal? Yeah, I'm going to steal here. I'm going to go Jim McMahon, quarterback yes. of the '85 Bears. Yes. I'm also going to go Ty Detmer. Yes, Heisman Trophy winner. Heisman Trophy winner, Ty Detmer. Hey, I'll even I'll enough. even give you a side of Taysom Hill. Oh, Taysom the Taysom uh, <laughs> No, the uh, the jack of all trades, utility man. Knife. Yeah, I think I think if Jacob Hester was in the NFL in 2023, he'd have a little Taysom Hill role. Could you throw? Uh, ooh, ooh, that's a, no, not at all. Not one bit. Um, I'll take a use check role though. What he does for the 49ers. I'll take that because he does everything Taysom does outside of the throwing part. Okay. Hey, does that, Hey, does that hurt your heart CD? That big Terp could not get to Ty Detmer and Jim McMahon because well, the, we're that the, old and he's not a little bit, but the, I think the, the one that was maybe most surprising to me, I thought like Jim McMahon was such a large personality that, Hugh, even though you weren't even a born, you probably would have been able to to have I've, heard I've about it. Seen clips of him talking, and he does not scream Mormon to me. No, no, he's the opposite <laughs> of Mormon. In fact, you know, some of the great stories about him when he was with the Bears, when they'd go, you know, they'd come around to do bed check. He and his roommate would push their beds together, like to freak people out, like they were you know, sleeping together and stuff, and like just constantly pushing some of the envelope there in, uh, at Brigham Young. My father-in-law played a year, I think it was 86, for the Chicago Bears when Jim McMahon was still the quarterback there. Legendary stories of Jim McMahon. Um, some maybe one day we'll share on the podcast, but some will keep great. close close to, to our best here. That would be great. I'd love to hear those. <laughs> Are we missing anybody, Big Turp? Is there, I feel like we're missing at least one more highly touted and accomplished BYU quarterback. Uh, Jamal Williams running uh, back. Oh yeah. I, I was just going for straight up alum. Um, I don't, I mean, dude, I couldn't get Jim McMahon and Ty Depp. Yeah. So I was about to say, if he didn't give us those names, quick. I don't have real high hopes for what he's going to be able hey, to give us. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Imagine you if know I what? didn't come up with Steve young though, you know? Yeah. That would have been yeah, that, I don't know. Ty Detmer might be the worst. He won the Heisman trophy, but you know what? We're not here to pile on big Turp, And you can probably guess why big Turp has that nickname and who he roots for. So, you know, that's a far way away from BYU. Let's see if you do better here. No yo-fo 
Kansas State, who is taking on Mizzou in Como this weekend. K-State, reigning Big 12 champion. Are you asking me to name famous quarterbacks? Because I'm not <laughs> going to be able to do it. Colin Klein, <laughs> offensive coordinator. Oh, man. I wasn't asking you to do that. But first Kansas State player that pops into your brain all time, go. Darren Sproles. You said the right answer. There you go, sir. You passed the test. And you passed the test. What about recently? Deuce Vaughn is a uh, recent. Yeah, Deuce uh, Vaughn's great, but uh, this is a pro Darren Sproles podcast here on oh, pregaming the SEC. Hey, I don't know him. Obviously, he's one of your great friends and teammates. I would love to have him on. We'll do that someday. But uh, I, I'll take your word for him as being a, a good dude, and I'll accept the the pro Darren Sproles uh, right. aspect. Yeah, so just a, a little bit of no yo foe for uh, Kansas State. Kansas State defense will start one single blue chipper and three walk-ons, and they're still going to be good. I mean, that's I love just it. how they God, work over that. there. That's how they've always worked over there. Um, they switched to a 3-3-5 alignment in the 2021 season, and since the switch, they've allowed just 20.4 a game, which is 18th in uh, all of college football. They better get out of that 3-3-5 alignment because that is not something that's been very good against SEC teams in recent years. I mean, shoot, even – you know, when uh, Ole Miss was running that, trying to line up against Alabama, and I'll get a different, I'm not trying to compare Alabama and Missouri in terms of their ability to run the ball, but Cincinnati didn't have success with that against Alabama in the playoffs. Like, yeah. I mean, Mississippi me, State's trying to live in that world right now too, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's I don't – and you talked about, you know, kind of the lack of impressive, yeah. impressiveness that you, you saw from uh, the lines of scrimmage against Arizona. But, yeah, I, I – um, what else do we need to know about him? Uh, oh, T- hey, TCU ran the three three five against Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. That uh, that three three five defense has it's worked so far this year, and obviously not yeah. you know playing world beaters, but the defense uh, enters the week top ten in rushing defense. The first yeah. nationally thirty eight yards a game given up on the ground, uh, ten tackles for a loss a game, which is fifth. Uh, scoring defense is seventh, six and a half a game. They're averaging four sacks a game. That's ninth. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes against Missouri. Um, Chris Kleiman, since he took over, 3-0 and in non-conference games against the Power Five. You might remember the Mississippi State game a few years back, 31-24 Kansas State. 24-7 they beat Stanford. And then, obviously, last year they whooped up on Missouri. The aforementioned Deuce Vaughn had a nice little game. But margin of victory for Chris Kleiman against non-conference Power Five opponents is 17.3 a game. Oof. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, since Colin Klein, obviously at for um, also aforementioned, took over, <laughs> he's, he took over as the offensive coordinator after the Texas Bowl in 2021. Since then, they're averaging 34 a game. Uh, they've scored 40 or more in each of their last four regular season games. Uh, they have not done that since 2002. So I don't know if you guys think they make that five or not. I don't think Eli Drinkwitz thinks they make that five. We will see. And obviously, if they make that five, that's probably a win. I don't think we're seeing a 40-40 shootout. Um, and then just a little historic action. Kansas State is all-time 50-88-5 and five against current members of the SEC, which uh, includes Missouri and A&M, who they used to share a conference with. All right, I I want to I want to kind of lay this out because Eli Drinkwitz is a friend of all of ours. He is so gracious with his time. No matter where we're at, the Senior Bowl, spring meetings, media days, it doesn't matter. He always sits down with us. He's one of our favorites. He has talked about this game against Kansas State last year every time we've ever sat down with him yeah. in the last year. Okay, last year it was forty to twelve Kansas State. 
Listen to these rushing totals. K-State ran the football 43 times for 235, over five and a half yards per carry. Now, on the other side of it, Mizzou ran the ball 35 times for 94 yards, 2.7 yards a carry. Yeah, This was a game that Kansas State took the fight to Mizzou. It wasn't close. It got out of hand quickly. Mizzou has had this one scheduled and circled all all season long, and this one means a lot to everybody in that program. Yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting going into this game on on how much excitement there seems to be in Como. Like the uh, it's eleven a.m. local start, but this is one that y- you feel like a lot of people, in addition to the 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 head coach and the team, have been circling. The fans themselves um, seem to want to create a hostile environment. I'll, I'll be interesting to see how that plays out on on Saturday morning there, but uh, it's, it's an interesting one for so many different reasons. And maybe none of which the least is the, uh, the, the embarrassment that, that uh, you just described with those numbers. All right, let's get to the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the sec. Now, maybe across the country, the week three slate doesn't look great because that would be factual. Actually, it's a bad week three slate across college football, but it's not really in the sec. I would say some of the games that move the needle the most are here within the Southeastern Conference. And Tennessee at Florida comes into that category. LSU at Mississippi State and South Carolina at Georgia. Let's start with South Carolina at Georgia because I think that's the one that is going to go by a little bit faster than the other two because there's one matchup that I think is really going to dictate this game and decide this game. That is... Georgia's defensive line against South Carolina's offensive line. It was a bomb squad against UNC for the South Carolina offensive line. It was more no hitters than Nolan Ryan. Okay. They were getting Spencer Rattler hit so many, every drop back, it felt like he was getting hit in the chest right under the chin. Every pass, he was under pressure. Right. And it's amazing that he was able to do as well as he did. I don't know that they fixed that yet. CD, do you think that they can hold up long enough for Spencer Rattler to make plays down the field and keep them in this game? I don't think they can hold up long enough, and that's why I think you have to do some things to compensate for what's going to be a major disadvantage on the offensive line. Um, asking him to to drop back and throw from the pocket is is not something that I think is going to to be sustainable. I think you got to get the ball out quickly with some some quicker throws. I think you got to move the pocket some. You know, if you're trying to hit some big plays. You know, have maybe come off a of play action, maybe find a way to get your your launch point, you know, somewhere different than right behind the center. Uh, but I, I, the idea that they're just going to line up and and one pass protect and line up and even run the ball. I mean, they they yeah. had a hard time running the football against North Carolina's front seven. How do you think it's going to go against Georgia? So, I, I think uh, this is a game that if they can find a way to be competitive, let alone you know win the game, yeah. It goes back to Dow Loggins being able to compensate for what is going to be the Achilles heel of the South Carolina program this year. Yeah, and, and Dow Loggins is somebody that I respect the, the heck out of. I think he is the right hire. I think he's a very good offensive coordinator. And the thing with him is most of his time has been in the NFL where you haven't had mismatches like this. So I'm very interested to see how he tries to make up for the offensive line struggling like they did against UNC in this matchup, because the last thing that you want to do is invite more people into the box by keeping your back and tight end 
inside the count, inside yeah. the protection with responsibilities. You and I have talked about this five man protection, get the ball out of your hands. You have a veteran quarterback. You got to trust him. If you start bringing tight ends in, well, it brings another defender into the box who can green dog. He can delay blitz running back. Same thing. You get your running back there. He's looking all over the place because they're college kids and they don't necessarily know that that guy's lined up way too far to be even a threat over there. So he's not coming, but you still look over there because maybe you don't know exactly what's going on. That just invites more problems. Get the ball out of your hands. Get the guys out there in space. And that's something that's going to be a challenge for South Carolina to try to do. It's the matchup. It is the one matchup that is going to really be a deciding factor if South Carolina can stay in this game. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things would be, all right, who do you use in terms of spreading things out? Xavier Leggett has had a tremendous start to the season, maybe one of the big positive surprises about this South Carolina football team. Um I don't know that the the health status is of Juice Wells. Uh, Coach Beamer said he's fine and good to go, but uh, his stats would probably tell you otherwise. Yeah. Like, who are those guys that you can depend on as pass catchers when you do spread it out? Because I'm with you. Like, you know, a lot of times you can utilize some of those quick throws as, you know, yeah, slow them down. And, yeah, Ooh. in some degree, yeah, make them make them chase, make them make them pursue, and 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 de facto runs without having to try to beat your head against the wall running into a brick wall. Yeah, I don't think we'll really learn what we're looking to learn about this Georgia team in this game. Now, Shane Beamer has his team ready for games like this a lot of the time. Last year, a lot of the peaks, a lot of valleys. Can this be one of those peaks? For the South Carolina football team, we will certainly see and see if it is a test for the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, let's go to LSU at Mississippi State. This is a game that LSU has to certainly be ready for. It is a early kick, 11 a.m. kick. It is a road game. It is a situation for them that in the past has given them trouble playing early in Starkville. How do they handle that? Early last year, they were not great. Tennessee, Arkansas, those are the first two games that come to mind. You won the Arkansas game, but it was ugly. You got housed in the Tennessee game. Can you handle going on the road and playing that early kick? Now, this is not the same Mississippi State team that we have known. We knew that was probably coming, but even more so than I thought. Listen to these stats. So, Woody Marks, a very talented running back there for Mississippi State. Last year, the entire year, in its totality, 113 carries, 582 yards, 48 catches out of the backfield. CD this year, already 43 attempts, 250 yards. Yeah. So, I mean, he's almost right there now, halfway where he was in total yards. And by the way, he was the leading rusher for Mississippi State last year with 582 yards. After just two weeks, 250 yards. They are going to try to find a way to run every run. Stretch lead, zone, counter, power, Everything is up and available. The offensive line is still an air raid offensive line that I'll give them credit. They're trying like hell to be a physical offensive line, but it's just not there yet. And that's going to be the matchup in this one. Can LSU's defensive front, Makai Wingo, Mason Smith, hold up, run gap integrity, which they struggled with as the entire defense did against Grambling? Mississippi State, I know. I know it sounds weird. They're going to run the football. That's who they are. That's who they want to be now. They're still trying to figure out their identity. I don't know that they're there yet. So for LSU, you'd rather have this game in game number three and not game number eight. Yeah, I think it's a uh, a good time to catch 
Mississippi State, but I also think for for LSU, it, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, it's a good time for them before they really develop. But I also think that LSU is going to have Mississippi State's full attention after watching the way that they played against Florida State, after being out physical. I can guarantee yeah. you, and you'd know this better than I I do, but I imagine that that one of the the things that Brian Kelly talked to his team about is we're going to be playing even more physical teams as the rest of the season wears on. If we don't find a way to hold up at the point of attack, if we don't find a way to, to, to be able to uh, affect the opposing quarterback more like this is going to be a long season. So I'm, yeah. I'm interested in that factor. I'm sure that, uh, you know, there's been a, a flashlight shown on whatever uh, was going on there in the Florida state game. And that it's been emphasized that this is going to be a, a, a tough one. It's going to be a physical game. Uh, going to Starkville is always a weird uh, trip anyway you talked about the 11 a.m start aspect of it all um it could it could it could measure up to be a trap game and i think when you say trap game it's kind of disrespectful to the the team that is maybe the underdog but i don't think it can be a trap game given all of those things that we just talked about and the attention that lsu is going to be giving mississippi state before the game no i, I watched the mississippi state arizona game all, all four quarters last night and arizona had success with smaller defensive linemen and they really had a hard time keeping them out of the run gaps and certainly late in the game. It was, it was something that was a little bit surprising in the first quarter, Mississippi state did a really nice job of getting to the edge. And then when Arizona made the adjustment, they, they tried to get back to it and then they tried to go counter off of it. And neither one of them really worked like it did in the first quarter. And so LSU has got to watch that on tape because again, Mississippi state's going to commit to running the football I would like to see them give Will Rogers more opportunity to be Will Rogers. He has not yet had that opportunity. I think he had 17 total pass attempts yeah, in an like overtime that. game. Mm -hmm. He's too good of a player, in my opinion, to have 17 pass attempts in any game, much less an overtime game where you have extra possessions. If I'm Mississippi State, I like that you're trying to create your new identity, but allow your veteran quarterback, who is about to set like every SEC record, to go out there and make game-changing plays as well. And they've shown that they have some receivers that can make some plays as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tulu Griffin has looked good. I, I Creed Whittemore kind of burst on the scene in game number one as a freshman. So they, they have some guys that can can you know, catch the ball. Um, it's not like they all of a sudden forgot how to you know be effective yeah. through the air. So I, I do think that that should be a little bit more of the focal point this week as well, especially given the struggles that LSU's secondary had against Florida State. I mean, uh, excuse, it's just – those guys have to prove it to me. I, I'm not convinced that, that the pedigree of those guys on, on the corner and the secondary in general is is uh, up to the standards that LSU typically has. So let's yeah. try those guys. Let's see what they're about. It's going to be uh, an interesting game. I can't wait to see you know which version of Mississippi State we're going to get if they do allow Will Rogers to make more plays through the air. And I'm excited to see what LSU does defensively. Did they make the adjustments they needed to make? And offensively, can you continue to grow, uh, you know, pushing it down the field? What can Logan Diggs roll as his starting running back maybe be for that squad? I thought it was a flash last week. And so a lot of questions have to be answered from both teams in that contest. All right, I kind of led with the LSU-Mississippi State take. Let's continue pre-gaming with a game that I'm going to throw to you and give you the lead. That is, of course, Tennessee at Florida. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the history in this matchup, it's kind of uh, ironic that we're we're talking about you know this this trip to Gainesville, the last year of the divisions, because this 
this rivalry really wasn't a rivalry prior, prior to 92. And when, you know, the SEC decided to split into two divisions, it became an instant kind of hate between these two fan bases. And, yeah. um, you know, in the last year of these divisions, them coming to Gainesville, the storyline with, you know, Tennessee not having won in Gainesville since 2003. Uh, I think it's uh, a lot of side stories that go on here. But the fact of the matter is, um, I don't think either of these teams have played their best football yet. And I think a lot of this key to this game comes down to who can put it together at the right time. I think that game against McNeese state was perfectly timed for what Florida needed. They came back and corrected a lot of the errors that they had in the opener mm -hmm. against Utah, albeit against more inferior uh, uh, opponent, but they were able to line up and minimize penalties only four for 20 yards. They were more efficient in the red zone, six for six with six touchdowns. Uh, they were able to, to uh, run the football with some effectiveness that they did not have against Utah. Um, so I, I think for, for, for the Gators, they're feeling good about the improvement they made for Tennessee, going back and looking at the Austin P tape, you know, you haven't had the explosive pass plays. You've been able to run the football more. Some of what happened, you know, I think had to do more with your opponent. The, 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 the Virginia lines of scrimmage were not very good. They ran the ball 52 times for 287 yards. I think uh, against the, Austin P folks last week, they played defense with a soft box for the majority yeah. of time, wanting them to, to throw the football or actually wanting them to run the football and preventing them from having those, those explosive pass plays. But that's the thing to me has like, they've only had four pass plays of 20 yards or more through two games. That, that to me is really surprising. But when I turn on yeah. the tape, it's not just Joe Milton with his incompletions, which he's been inaccurate, but receivers that were supposed to be talking about being one of the best groups in the conference, dropping balls routinely, offensive linemen busting in one-on-one -on -one pass protection situations, running backs, not picking up blitzers when you have yeah. a chance for a one-on-one -on -one play down the field. So to me, it's like, all right, which of these teams is going to be able to put it together. And uh, I think the, the hostile environment for, for Joe Milton on the road and his first real start in one of those is, is kind of a fascinating yeah. kind of dynamic as well. Yeah, this is a Tennessee team that I probably just assumed that they would pick up where they left off because Joe Milton got some run at the end of the year. I'm a huge believer in Josh Heifel and just his offensive philosophy. And we probably disrespected Hendon Hooker and not even meaning to, like yeah. how good he really was. And then you lose your off coordinator to South Florida where he becomes the head coach. And yeah, Josh Heifel is so involved in the offense, but – I mean, he had a great relationship there, and it's like that's going to take some time whenever you lose somebody that's a part of your staff. And so I probably just assumed too much with Tennessee. Hendon Hooker was one of the best quarterbacks we've had in, in the last decade. One of the best players in that, that franchise, not franchise, in the program's history. <laughs> like, it, it, you yeah. know, he is going to be remembered, and I think even more so now appreciated in the first two yeah. ball games for what he was able to do. Yeah, and so, like, Tennessee still has some growing pains to go through. Now, they're talented, and so they're going to win some games going through those growing pains, but what an opportunity for the Florida Gators, right? You and I have talked about this this week already. You have your backs against the wall. You have a top-10 team in the coaches' poll in Tennessee coming to your place, a place that is very difficult to play as any opposing team, and you can change the narrative of everything and all the ish that everybody's talking about you by winning this game. You truly can Everybody right now, there's all the nicknames for, for Billy Napier, right? You look bad against Utah. Yeah, you play big knees. We're not going to give you any credit for that. You're going to win five games. Well, you go out there, you beat a top 10 team at home. You know this. Like, that starts something. 
Yeah. And once you get it started, that momentum continues to roll and roll and roll. And then you get Charlotte next week. All right. Let's see if you can get another victory. And then you got a couple of road games in the SEC that are going to be tough at South Carolina, at Kentucky, at LSU. But if you get to a point where the product just looks better, right? I, record be damned. But if it just looks like you're going in the right direction, well, what's coming to Gainesville in the future? Really good players. Yeah. Really good players committed to this Billy Napier led Florida Gator program. But you got to get there. If you all of a sudden, man, you you drop this one and then you drop, let's say you drop two of three, choose your two, Kentucky, South Carolina, LSU, whatever it might be. It's like well, you look up, Florida's won five games. Well, maybe some of those players don't sign with you. And then the future that looks so bright, you lose some of that because of what you're doing right now in the present. This is massive for yeah. the Florida game. This is way more important than the Utah game. Utah game was important. This one's massive, and it's you got to go out there and put your best foot forward. And for Tennessee, this is a place you have not had success. You have an opportunity to change that narrative of, hey, they've always had our number in that building. And for Tennessee, it would be a massive win for them. I mean, this is one of those games that both teams can gain so much. It's kind of like the Texas a and Miami was a little bit like this the last week because I thought for different reasons, both those teams needed a victory. They both need one in this one for different reasons, but there is a lot of pressure for Florida to go out there and win. And then for Tennessee, I think they really need this to springboard some of that clunkiness away from their team so far in this season. As you uh, mentioned the drought in Gainesville here that the, the Vols have had, 2003 was the last time they were able to come into the swamp and leave with a victory. I was in high school to tell you how long ago that was. I was going to say there's a lot more accomplished quarterbacks that have led Tennessee into the swamp and and left the loser. Um, How many of those guys can you name off the top of your head? Give me, just give me a couple Tennessee quarterbacks. Since 2003. Yep. Going to go Rick Clawson. I'm going to go Eric Ainge. I'm going to go Jonathan Crompton. Uh, I'm going to go Joshua Dobbs. Uh, Hinden Hooker would be in that category. Um, I feel like I'm doing better than I thought uh, so far. Um, uh, Gosh, I, I think that might be, the extent, though, because uh, Casey Clawson would have been before that. His brother Rick would have been there, as I mentioned. I feel I like think... I'm missing one pretty important one, and I can't remember who it is. Well, there's a few recent. Like, who's who was the guy before Hooker that we we really wanted to do well, and he just never really got there. So it would have been a- after Joshua Dobbs. Yeah, he, 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 here's a real quick hint: fumble on the goal line against Bama. Doing his own thing, trying to go over the top. Oh my gosh! He even changed his name on us. Yeah, the pronunciation was uh, altered there, wasn't it? Oh, uh, so what? How did it start out? Do we know? What yeah, was, I got how it. Did... I got it here. So in two thousand three, which clock? Garant- no, 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 was, no, no, no. It was Garantano, Garantano. Which one was first? Yeah. Which one was last? Oh. Hmm. Garantano think... was first, right? Yeah, you changed okay. Garantano. Okay, okay. See, I didn't want to be wrong there. Yeah, man, we God, he was there for a long time too. Yeah. So you're right about Ainge had two losses in the swamp as the starting quarterback. You know, there's one you're missing that uh, was a pretty accomplished California quarterback that came to the SEC. All right. See, now my brain's just melting right now. I, I have I have just given it every piece of Tennessee quarterback knowledge. You're about to make me say like Heath Schuler and Peyton Manning and T Martin if you don't stop. You're gonna be you're gonna be upset about this because I think this is one you you should have remembered. Tyler Bray. Ah, was, Kansas City Chiefs legend Tyler Bray. 
<laughs> and then you're right has 2013 technically the start was nathan peterman as a redshirt freshman he got the start <laughs> wait what yeah See, i didn't, that, know, that. I didn't yeah. know that until this week that completely um, completely and then he sucks blows my mind that that's so that that's Justin a fact Morley came in for him and then um so how about how about this the felipe franks to tyree cleveland hail mary year yeah who who started that one? Dude ended up transferring to I want to say UCF. Is that right, CD? USF, I mean. Uh, I don't remember where he transferred. All right, to. so now you got to give me the name. I'm telling you, y'all have melted my mind here. Quentin Dormady. You could have given me the Powerball. I was gonna say that would have been a name. tough pull. Yeah. And I would have I would have walked away with no money in my pocket. Yeah. So Eric Ainge, Eric Ainge, Jonathan Crompton, Tyler Bray, Nathan Peterman, Joshua Dobbs, Quentin Dormany, Jarrett Garen, Tano Tano, Henry <laughs> Hope. I guess y'all confused now. I was so nervous to say the wrong one that I'm just like letting y'all go. Like, surely they're gonna say it. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna go with Garantano. Um feels right. Gosh, I, I I that's a player, and you're right. I thought he was going to at some point, figure it out. And he had moments dude. of putting it together. I know. I you know, know. And then the kind of lasting memory on top of, you know, I want to bang on the dude, but you mentioned the fumble, like the the interceptions against Kentucky where they returned multiple pick sixes in that uh, ball game there in, in yeah. Knoxville. All right. Uh, oof, man, 2003, that, that is not even something that I, I didn't know that that was a stat in that series as well. That is that is fascinating to me, considering like th- some of those players we just rolled out there, like Eric Ainge, Jonathan Crompton, Joshua Dobbs. I mean, those are really good football players. Yeah. I mean, Joshua Dobbs is still starting in the NFL. I mean, Eric Ainge was like an all-conference type player. Jonathan Crompton was actually with me in San Diego, very talented quarterback. That is a – that's – that is a surprising stat to say the least. And so, okay, yeah, again, they're trying to change that narrative. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for pre-gaming here in week number three. <laughs> oh, boy. You oh know boy. what that takes us to here. Oh, boy. Everybody this, know. It's the this end is of not show. great. <laughs> that this, Yeah, see you later. See you next week for week four. Uh, ooh. Take it to the bank. Now, anytime that somebody's on a streak that's as bad as we are, you can fade – Take it to the bank, and you might win don't some start, money. Don't, don't now, start fading us now. Do not fade us now. Here's the thing I love about it, bro. You know what? When bad shit happens, that means good shit's right around the corner, and the winners are coming for everybody out there. Don't start fading us yet. Do you know when the uh, night is darkest? Right before just dawn? before the dawn. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Okay. I blame this on the SEC and non-conference play 100%. as well. I, I'm going to throw some shade at our conference here. All right, I was betting on every single one of you showing up and being a team that went out there and beat the non-conference foe, and you did not, okay? You've disappointed us. You've left our pockets with lint and not money, okay? But we're going to stay with you. Well, a lot of the reason, because we're in conference play now, so you have really you have no choice outside of a couple of matchups. But the problem, the problem with my picks is they were chalky AF, man. I went with heavy favorites. Yeah. I thought, you know, one thing you can always depend on when things are going rough, you can count on Alabama at home, right? Alabama was a covering machine at home. <laughs> and uh, that was not the case on Saturday night. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it was not. And we have laid it out a couple of times. And so 
We'll put our picks out there. We'll get them out there on Friday night. Do we need records? They're not great. They're not great. Is your boy maybe 0-6? That's potentially something that could be factual. Is my guy CD 1-5? Maybe. just may- Soft maybe. It's a soft maybe. But for me, there's only one way to go, and that is up. CD has room for improvement as well. We will get back on track. I know last year we went through some of this as well, and we found our way to being successful by the end of it. So the SEC has let us down. They've disappointed us in some of these non-conference Bro. games. We disappointed y'all, but we'll be better. We'll be. We better. had to get a sample size. We had to get some tape. We had to, you know, we're in here uh, looking, looking through tape at the early morning hours and yeah. trying to grind on this thing to make sure we get you back on track here. All right, so we will have those picks again out on Friday. We're going to have some winners. I have faith. Ye of little faith, get out of here because we don't have any of that. So, slate next week, by the way. I mean, we've got we've got some pretty interesting contests. We've got Auburn, Texas A&M. We've got Ole Miss, Alabama, UTSA, Tennessee. That intrigues me. Yeah. Uh, we've got Memphis and Mizzou. You have Mississippi State, South Carolina. So, you know, the slate's looking like LSU, Arkansas. Is another one we've got. So the slate picks up next week, and you know we'll be back next week. And so, CD, it is always a pleasure. Um, therapy session last week, this week, you know, therapy session last week was actually for Florida and LSU. This week it was for the entire SEC. I'm feeling better about next week already. No, I feel I feel better about next week as well, and uh, I certainly feel better about our Take It to the Bank picks too. So looking forward to the uh, the run we're about to go on. All right, and we'll be back next week, same time, same place, pre-gaming the SEC week number four. So make sure that you stay locked in. Follow us on all social medias. At pre-gaming the SEC is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Big Terp, same thing on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. Like, subscribe, the whole deal. Just search pre-gaming the SEC. We appreciate y'all. Go SEC.